Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Let me get you to do me a favor real quick. If you'll look in the, uh, in the updates, uh, you'll see an outline uh, that goes along with today's message that we always put in there. Uh, the reason I'm pointing you to it in a specific way uh, is that after I'd finished the message, uh, after uh, we had printed the, uh, the, the, what we call our bulletin, call it the updates, uh, after all of that, uh, I'm, I'm reading some in a, a devotional yesterday and God started adding some things in. And then this morning I get here at the office and God added some things in. Uh, so, uh, uh, if you want to look down about the second point, that's all we'll do today. Now, the reason I'm telling you now, because if I don't tell you that now, since I've added the other things in about the time I get near the end of the second point, you're going to look at your watch and you're going to think, my God, we're going to be here all day. <laughs> so, uh, uh, any, anyway, that's why I wanted to, uh, uh, to, to point that out. I, I, I wasn't planning on uh, things being in flux as much as they uh, were, uh, but, uh, but there'll be an illustration kind of at the end of the second point. Maybe you'll understand why. Uh, I was reading yesterday a, a new devotional book. One of our, a couple in our church had uh, uh, gave me a, a gift card for Lifeway for my birthday. Uh, by the way, someone is asking me where my jeans are and stuff today, uh, you know, and uh, everything. I've had people asking me, are you doing a wedding after the service or uh, what? Uh, well, my, 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 my darling wife got this for, for me for my birthday, so I thought I better wear it sometime, you know, uh, to, 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 stay, to stay in good with her. So that's why the jeans aren't on uh, today and, uh, and all. Uh, now, next week will probably be different, uh, probably. But uh, anyway... Um, so, uh, uh, I'd gone to uh, use that card to shop for something and I walk in Lifeway saying to myself, I'm not going to buy a book <laughs> because I've got books. The state convention gives me, uh, I've got a backlog on them where I work with church planners and we have a, uh, a, a church planning team meeting, uh, there at the Baptist building and carry there all the time, kind of adding in books and things like that for us to come home and read. And I think I'm not going to get a book. I'm walking around with kind of two decorative things. I thought Becky might like, and then I step over to a display that had a brand new, uh, book by Max Licato and, and the name on it is simply Jesus with a cross on it. You know, that kind of captured my heart. Just, you know, that's the title of the book. And then I picked it up and looked inside of it, and, and I find uh, 15 chapters there that deal with various aspects of Jesus, from creator to da, 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 all the way down uh, to, uh, to him, of course, being our Savior, our sacrifice. So uh, I read chapter 1 yesterday, and God started telling me to change uh, a few things. So we will pick back up uh, on the thought of today, which is uh, we're set apart to be different. Uh, it goes right along with this idea uh, that we've had up here in this uh, graphic that Brandy put up for us. All the shoes are going one direction except one. That one shoe ought to kind of illustrate our lives as believers. We ought to go against the flow. We ought to live different lives. Uh, when I started this series uh, several weeks ago, uh, I, I started it really from the standpoint of just feeling like we're going into a new year. Uh, we, we need to focus on 2018, uh, being more set apart, living our lives more set apart to Jesus. Uh, but then after I got into the series, some other things started happening in my life and, you know, some of it through the state convention and stuff where I just become more discontent 
with our discipleship efforts and, uh, and, and more burdened about discipleship uh, in my own heart. And so that's kind of gone right along with the series without me planning to do that. I'm sure God knew what he was doing when he started this series. God knew that he would tell me this morning to split the sermon in half. I didn't. But um, anyway, so uh, uh, and, and, and guys, please be praying about that. Uh, I think that's a huge thing. You've heard me talk about pockets of lostness in the state of North Carolina and how we need to address them. Uh, I, I wish we could find a magic Bible and wave it over the pockets of lostness and things like that in our state and all of a sudden it's fixed. But that's not going to happen. Because we didn't get into the lost condition in North Carolina overnight. We'll not get out of it overnight. And the way we got into it is by us failing to make disciples as we should as a church. And making a disciple doesn't mean you're a disciple. It does mean that, but it means you are a disciple that's producing other disciples. And that's what we have to get to. And that's what our our churches in our state have to get to if if we're going to turn uh, North Carolina around for Jesus. So uh, uh, all that stuff is bouncing around my head, my heart. Uh, I've been talking to some of our leadership team about it. But I I think it kind of applies with where we are uh, today. Uh, just to set a foundation for where we've been, I'm not going to cover all the topics, but foundationally, I want you to always understand, uh, set apart, when you're talking about being set apart, another word for that is sanctification, that's kind of the biblical word for it, uh, the moment you trust Christ as your Savior, if in fact you've done that, if not, you ought to do it today before you leave the service, but the moment you trust Christ as your Savior, God eternally set you apart to himself, you belong to him, that's a done deal that he's done. But at the same time, there's a process to being set apart that's kind of on our shoulders just a little bit, and that's us allowing the Holy Spirit to transform our lives to where we're becoming more and more like Jesus. So there's a process involved. And we've been kind of talking about most of the series, different aspects of things that can help us in that process of looking more like Jesus. So today, uh, we're going to start talking about uh, set apart to be different. In case you're counting ahead, no, we won't finish the series uh, before Easter. We won't finish it before our guest speaker comes. The last message in this series was going to deal about being identified with Christ. That's become our Easter message now since God changed me this morning. I think it'll be a good Easter message too, uh, by the way, because we ought to be identified with him. But today we're going to talk about being set apart to be different. Now the background of that is this. The Bible clearly tells us that God is holy, 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 doesn't it? Let, let me give you a couple of indications of that from the Old Testament and from the New Testament. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, we find this in Isaiah 6. Familiar story that most of you know uh, well. Isaiah is there in the temple. He starts seeing some amazing things. He's seeing these seraphim fly across, and uh, they're doing this. One called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, jump into Revelation, and in Revelation chapter 4, uh, we've got something similar taking place in heaven. The four living creatures, each of them with uh, six wings, are full of eyes all around within. And uh, day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, he's always existed, he is now, and he is to come. He's always going to exist. Another way some theologians describe the word holy, and we've been looking at the word holy in this series, but another way to think about it in more of a contemporary way that we might can wrap our minds around better is to say this, God is different, different, different. God's different than anyone or anything else. God loves greater than anyone loves. He loved us so much he put his son on the cross. 
God is different. He's perfect. There's not one flaw in the character of God whatsoever. God is pure light. God, God is different, different, different. He's holy, holy, holy. But I don't know if you knew this or not. The Bible tells us what we just read about God needs to be true of us also. And it actually tells us in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Look look at the Bible here in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves. He's talking to his people. Consecrate yourselves therefore. Set yourselves apart. I'm, I'm not going to, I've got a lot of word studies on the screen. I'm not going to cover them all today. But he, he's just saying you, you set yourself apart, being ceremonially clean. You set yourself apart to me, just like a temple was set apart to God. The tabernacle was set. He, so he's saying, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I'm holy. Because God is holy, because God is pure, because God is set apart himself, because God is different. He calls us to be holy. He calls us to be different, to live different lives ourselves. Now, now that's from the Old Testament. Look in the New Testament. And here's an example of it in the, in the New Testament. Next slide. First Peter, by the way, we're going to live in First Peter this week and next week in chapter 1. Uh, but we'll go back to verse 13 in a moment and go as far as we're going. Then we'll pick back up next week. But in 1 Peter 15, uh, chapter 1, verse 15, 16, but as he who has called you is holy, God, that we've been talking about, that the Bible clearly said is holy. He's different, different, different. The Old Testament told us that. The New Testament tells us that. You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, and he's quoting what we just read a moment ago in the Old Testament. Since it is written... Be holy, for I am holy. God wants us in our lives to allow him to cause us to be holy. Now, he's done that through Jesus. But in a practical way, he wants to cause us, generate us to be holy, to live consecrated lives, to view ourselves as set apart to him, to view ourselves as holy because he's holy. In other words, to view ourselves as different. That that's you that's going against the flow of culture. We're to view ourselves as different. Now, before I jump into how maybe we can better be different, because God's calling upon us to be different, I, I want to revisit something foundationally. Doctrinally, doctrinally, bear that in mind, doctrinally, the only way you and I can be different, the only way we can be holy The only way we can be set apart is through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen? Amen. That's the only way that happens. But practically, as I said a moment ago, practically, God wants to work in our lives, through our lives, be transforming our lives, changing our lives in practical ways to where we are more different, 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 where we are more holy, holy, holy for him. So what does that look like? How, how can, can you and I be more different for God? How can we be more holy? Now, we were going to look at four things. Uh, good news is there's going to be two things for you today, two things next week. You have to come back next week, though. I'm not going to fill in the blank for you this week. Here, here's the first way. 
that we can be more set apart, more different. He tells us this in verse 13 of chapter 1. Peter does, inspired of God, writing these words. More or less, I think he's telling us our thinking should be different. I think you probably recognize that what you think, what bounces around in your mind will pop out in your life a lot of times. So if we're going to foundationally be more different, if we're going to foundationally be more holy, foundationally try to be more like God, be set more apart to him, we need to think different. He says, therefore, prepare in your minds for action in being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So to begin with, as we think about thinking differently ourselves, our thoughts being different so we can be more different, set apart unto the Lord. He, he's telling us here that, that, that our minds, our thinking, should involve action. Did you notice that? He, he said, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Now, that's in the English Standard Version that I'm uh, using today. I use most Sundays. Um, some translations say, gird up the loins of your mind. And you might be thinking, well, I didn't know my mind had loins and, uh, it, and everything, but that's the, the way that they would, would think of it in that day and time. But I'm not going to read all the words today, but as he says, preparing your minds for, for action or girding up the loins of your minds, he's, he, he's saying more or less you need to do this. You're, you're needing to prepare your mind like, like a runner in that day and time will make preparation to run a race. See, in, in, in that day and time, in biblical times, the, the men wore what looked like a dress, a robe, and, and so did the women. They, there were things that made it distinctive that set it apart, but if you saw from the distance, you think that's a dress. I've had some discussions with people before, and they'd say, well, look, Bible says it's uh, you know it, it's a shame for a woman to dress like a man, so she shouldn't ever wear pants. My argument back to him is, well, in the Old Testament that you're quoting from, they were wearing dresses in that day and time, so you need to go get a dress and go wear it, you know, out in uh, out, out in public. Because it's it's the thought, it's the heart. If a woman's trying to usurp the authority of a man, sure it would be wrong to do. But they just go places in, 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 in some legalistic ways. But what would happen is, is this. In that day and time, since the, the men were, were wearing those long flowing garments, if the man was going to be working really actively at something, working really hard or running a race, he'd have to reach down and take those long flowing garments and kind of tuck them in his belt to get them out of the way so he could run without tripping up over the long garment. So that's kind of the picture that, that Peter's given here, that the Holy Spirit has given us through Peter here. You and I as believers, we need to live more holy because that's what this, this whole section is going to deal with. We need to live more set apart to God. We need to be more different. And it begins by you and I preparing our minds. Just like a runner preparing to race, we need to prepare our minds for action. We need to prepare our minds to, to, to do the things that God has called us to do, to, to, to be in obedience to his, to his will, just like an athlete had to prepare. You see, here's, here's what I'm trying to point out, I guess. It's one thing to think and only think about serving Jesus. It's another thing for you to think and have a mind that involves action, the way you think about serving Jesus, and you're actually going and doing something to serve him. Does that make sense to you? 
Oh yeah, we ought to think about it, but it needs to go beyond our thinking process to where we're actually serving him. Look what we can find here in Philippians. But one thing I do, this is Paul writing, forgetting what lies behind. By the way, stop and freeze frame that for a minute. I'll keep reading in a second. That's what we have to learn to do as believers. The, the devil wants to keep us in our past. Because if he keeps me in my past, I'm not going to want to be too active in serving Jesus. So forgetting what lies behind, I need to forget what's behind. It's under the blood of Jesus, amen? It's under God's grace. It's, I don't need to live there. So forgetting what lies behind and, and straining forward to what lies ahead. There's things that God has ahead for me, things that God wants me to, to do. I need to press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, let those of us who are mature think this way. So if you don't view yourself as a mature Christian, it kind of begins like this. Quit worrying about your past. Quit allowing Satan to defeat you and you walking around guilty and, and despondent about your past. You need to think about moving forward to Jesus and what he's called you to do. And in order to be mature, that's the way you need to think. I, I read Romans uh, 12, 1 and 2 last week, but, but I, you know, it fits so well, I had to read verse 2 again. It tells us this, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, so if you and I are going to live according to God's will, the first step in, in doing that is, is to think different. It is, it's for us to set ourselves apart even in the way that we think. And we need to think in a way that, that involves action. We're actively thinking about serving Jesus. Our thinking also ought to do this. Our thinking as believers should involve being spiritually alert, being, being spiritually alert. Here's the way Peter phrased it, and being sober-minded. Uh, the, the word sober there actually is a word that would refer to not being drunk, you know, not allowing yourself to fall under the influence of alcohol to the, to, the, to the stage that you're not in control of yourself. But what he's talking about here is being sober-minded. We're supposed to have minds that are serious, we're supposed to have minds as believers. That doesn't mean you go around solemn and, and like you're soured up on grapes all the time. But, but we need to be focused on, on Jesus. We need to be thinking about him. We need to be actively thinking about him. We need to be thinking about being set apart for him, about, uh, about being different for him. Sober-minded means to abstain from wine, keep sober. But here he's talking about your mind, your, your being, being discreet, uh, watching out. The, the context refers to your mind or your thoughts, even your feelings or your emotions. So while some of you might think, hey, I'm good on that because I'm not allowing alcohol to keep me from being sober-minded, while you might be good on that, I think here's our main problem in the world that we live in today. We're not drunk on alcohol. We're drunk on culture. We're drunk so much on our culture that we look as believers just like the rest of the world. Someone that's under the influence of alcohol, they don't think right, do they? They, they don't act right. They're, they're not present of mind as to the way they ought to live their lives. And when we allow ourselves as believers to be drunk on culture, we're not thinking right as believers. 
We're, we're not acting right as believers because we're allowing the, the culture to more impact us than the word of God to impact us and the Holy Spirit to impact our lives. We, we're just thinking in, the, in, in the, wrong, the wrong way. The Bible tells us this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, it kind of gives you a hint on some things you ought to think about. What, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. That gives us a guideline of the type of things we need to think about as believers. I mean, you can park a lot of stuff underneath those headings. Now, understand, we live in a world that makes it hard for us to think about those pure things and think about those lovely things and think about those good things, don't we? But have you noticed over the last couple of weeks since Billy Graham left this world and he went home to heaven? Man, it's been easier for me to think about the right kinds of things because guess what? The news media all the time, they've been talking about it. <laughs> been playing excerpts of his sermons. They, you know, they've been, been playing, you know, just as I am. You know, I, I've sat around and, and cried like a baby two or three times. My wife's seen me do it. I sat around. I didn't get to watch the funeral uh, live. I had to watch it later uh, online. And I'm sitting there just, you know, just crying, you know, blubbering around like, like, like a baby and all. And, I, and I'm not crying because he died. I'm crying because of how God used him and where he is now. And, 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 and you know, thinking about the stuff that we've heard on TV the last two or three weeks, it makes it a little bit easier to think like that, doesn't it? We, we need to be on guard against culture. We need to be on guard to where we're thinking about these things. I think it also should do this. We're, we're talking about how our, our thought process, our, our thinking should help us be more different. Help us be more set apart, more holy because God's holy. We need to have minds that are ready to take action. We need to have spiritually alert minds. Don't be drunk on culture. Be if you're going to get drunk on something, get drunk on God's word. But we also, as believers, our, our thinking as believers should involve hope. Look what he says in the last part of verse 13. Set your hope fully. That little word means all the difference in the world to what we're reading. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. And once again, there's several things in the word studies there. He's just saying we need to have a confident expectation, a full, settled, a confident expectation concerning the grace, the, the God, God's divine influence upon our heart that's going to be brought to us, that's going to be carried to us in a fixed position of time. There's this time in the future this fixed position of time, that there's going to be this disclosure that's going to take place, this appearing that's going to take place, this manifestation that's going to take place. The, the root word in the Greek meant to take the cover off. If I brought one of my paintings in today, some of you know that when I, when I have time, and I have time in about a year now, but uh, I, I'll, I'll do some paintings or some other artists, if they've done a sculpture, a lot of times they'll, they'll cover it up. Because they're, you know, they're wanting to wait and reveal it when it's, when it's done. Joe, Joey Finley and, and his wife asked me to do a painting of their cabin a couple of years ago. 
And then he told me how large he wanted. I thought, I don't want to paint it that big, you know, and, and things like that. One, because the bigger it is, the more it costs, and it's a church member, and I'm not wanting to, you know. But, but anyway, so uh, he, he told me, hey, cost doesn't matter. You know, and stuff like that. So I start working on it. And then he says, I want to come over and make pictures of it as you're painting on it. No, I don't want that. You know, that's what I'm thinking. It, it won't look right. It, it just won't, you know. But he came on over and did it. But then there, there finally came a day that I'd finished it. So I took it over to the house and showed it to him. And it's kind of like, you know, here it is. And then he got to see exactly what it looked like. Now, the reason I tell that story is this, because it fits with what we're being told here. We need to keep our hope, no matter what's going on in our lives, we need to keep our hope focused on this, that Jesus is coming back. When Jesus comes back, he's going to bring the full load of grace. And by that, here's what I mean. If you know Christ is your Savior, you've experienced God's grace. Amen? You've experienced his grace. But even though that's true, I still have an imperfect mind. I can't, I don't have the concept to see how great that grace is. But when he returns, I'll be like him. And I will be able to view that grace clearer than I've ever been able to view it. And see how great and how grand the grace of God is. So our hope needs to be upon this. Our hope, no matter what you're facing in life, needs to be not focused on the negative junk, but we need to have the right type of thinking in order that we can set ourselves more apart to him. The right type of thinking for us as believers involves this. We need to have a future forward thinking to where we keep our mind on the fact that Jesus is coming back. When Jesus comes back, he's bringing that full load of grace to where at least we fully understand it more than we ever have. And that needs to be my focus instead of what's going on in my life. See, no matter what's going on in my life, because I'm a believer, not because of me, because of what Jesus did, no matter what's going on in my life, I always have grace. Amen? Then no matter what's going on in your life as a believer, you have been given God's grace. You always have God's grace. And really what we're waiting around for one day to see it fully is the cover's going to be pulled back. I'm going to see Jesus face to face one day. But don't ignore that now in this life. Keep your thoughts in that direction. Let, let me kind of describe that a, a little bit. You, you might be thinking, well, that's kind of hard to do. When, when a couple gets engaged to be married, they, they've got a date set for their wedding. There's a lot of things that will happen as they plan toward that wedding date. You know, to, today, uh, I, I got to avoid some of the stuff that some of you guys have to go through now. You know, they've got, you know, they, they have these cake tastings and everything like that where you go taste, uh, you know, five or six cakes and get more and more confused about which one you ought to have. And for some reason, they even want the guys to go along anymore. I, I was spared that. We didn't, we didn't, they weren't doing that back then. But, but you go through all these things working toward that date. So you're planning toward that day. So you've got a future focus toward the date you're going to get married. I, you know, I, I'm about tired of saying how long Becky be, had been married, and Becky and I let you know how old we are and uh, everything like that. But it's, uh, if I'm not gone brain dead on my 62-year-old mind, it's 40, 42 years this summer. Okay. I got it right. <laughs> So 
So we were planning on that day we were going to get married. And, of course, you decide who's going to be in the wedding, who's going to sing, you know, the clothing. And, and, but then there, there, there came a time uh, that that day arrived. And I'm saying backstage, and, and I know kind of when they start playing certain music, is about two minutes from time to me to step out. So I, I, I was sitting there thinking, man, that's the last two minutes of my freedom for the rest of my life. I, I was, and I'm just kidding. But it came time for me to step out. And what we've been working toward and thinking about and planning toward and having our thoughts toward, I stand at the front and I see my wife come walking down the aisle. Now, let me prelude this uh, with something. Becky's just as beautiful today to me as she's ever been. But we are older, three kids, and things like that. Some of you have seen the old pictures when we were younger. I didn't look the same either, you know. I had hair. <laughs> but I'm sitting there, and, and, and she walks down the aisle, and what we had planned toward now becomes a reality. See, the same thing is true for us as believers. There's a set time when Jesus is coming back. There's a time when we will be joined together. He's our bridegroom. We're his bride. There's a set time that he's coming back. And when he does, we'll understand that grace much more than we've ever understood it. But I need and you need, as we live our lives, to be engaged in the thought of him coming back in one day, it's going to happen. Don't ignore that. It's going to happen one day. Keep your mind focused in that direction because that'll help you when junk hits your life. It'll help you when temptation hits your life because you don't know when he might come back. Amen. That's a, an extra motive for us to live our lives. Right. That's why we need to be forward thinking in that direction, because if you and I will be forward focused in the return of Christ, here's what it's going to do for us. It's going to help us make better choices and better decisions in our life when we're tempted because we're thinking, what if he comes back right now? I, I can't do that. I can't be involved in this. What if he comes back right now? And, and that'll help us make better choices and help us live our lives more different. You might have heard someone say this before, outlook determines outcome, attitude determines action. See, a believer that's looking forward to the glory of God and looking forward to the return of Christ, they're going to be making better decisions as they live their lives. Proverbs 23 and verse 27 says this, For as he thinketh in his heart, this is from the King James Version, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's why if we're going to be holier, because God is holy. If we're going to live our lives more set apart, more different, because God is different. It starts out with our thinking. Next point, next thing that can help us live more different lives is this. Our behavior our behavior should be different. Not just our thinking, not just our thoughts. But if we're going to live more different lives, going against the flow of culture, against the flow of the world, trying to be living holier lives for Jesus, our behavior needs to be different. Verse 14 and 15, and after we deal with these two verses, we'll 
be done until next week. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you, as God who called you is holy. I, I read this in the introduction to the message showing you a New Testament picture. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. To begin with, he tells us we ought to be like obedient children. I mean, that's just spelled out clearly in what he writes there. We as believers ought to live our lives as obedient children. The word for obedience, as obedient children, means in the manner of. We need to live our lives in the the manner of being attentive, hearing what God has to say. But you see, the word that's used here in the Greek also implies compliance or submission. Just hearing it and not applying it to your life is not going to help you live a more obedient life for Jesus. The root word that it's built from in the Greek means to hear under. And then it says children, that means a produced child. So see, God, if you're a believer, God has produced you as his child by his grace. Jesus died on the cross for you. By faith, when you believe in Jesus, you become part of God's family. You're you're now his child. And as such, to kind of illustrate it, we're supposed to have ourselves brought underneath what God says. I'm supposed to allow what God says to kind of be the final decision in my decision-making process. I'm supposed to listen to what the Lord has to say and allow that to be what I apply to my life. We need to hear God and place ourselves underneath what God says in obedience. You might could put it like this. The first step into living a more obedient life as a Christian is to simply ask yourself, what does the Bible say? See, the, when, when I'm being faced with a choice and a decision, I shouldn't say, what does Hollywood say? What does culture say? What does my heart say? Because the Bible says our hearts are deceitfully wicked, doesn't it? The, the standard that I need to make my decisions, you need to make your decisions upon is this. What does the Bible say? So go and see what the Bible says about whatever the issue is, the temptation is, whatever it might be. And once you find what the Bible says, that sells it. It should for us as believers. To where we bring ourselves underneath what the Bible has to say. See, as children, he's talking about being obedient children. As children, that means we're to be partakers of the nature of our parents. Now, that happens physically to some of us. You know, some of us look like our parents. It happens in our health sometimes, our DNA. Um, my mom had colon cancer at one point. Her brother, my uncle, my uncle Bentley had colon cancer. My grandmother, her mother, died of colon cancer. So since that's my descendant's, and I've got that DNA, guess what I get to do this week? 
unless you'll do it for me. I've got some wonderful taste in fluid you can drink for me tomorrow if you would. <laughs> and, and I've got an appointment to have a, have, have a scope ran on Tuesday. If you want to go in my place, I'd be more than glad to let you do it. I, I've had this before. Thank the Lord they've never found a polyp or anything like that uh, so far. So I hope that's still true. But why am I having to do that? Because of the DNA stuff. But not just DNA. Sometimes we act like our parents, don't we? I've been upset at my kids before because they were doing something and then I stop and think, they saw you do it. They learned it from you. But the flip side of this is true for us. Did you know that the Bible says you're partakers of the divine nature? By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, by the way, that tell us about Jesus and our salvation, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Wow! As a believer, you as a believer, me as a believer, we're partakers of the very nature of God. He lives inside of us once we trust in him by his spirit. We're partakers of his nature. Which means we ought to act like him. Amen? We ought to act like him. To be really partakers of, of his nature as we, as we should be. We ought to be obedient children. But secondly, he kind of tells us we should live changed lives, I think. is what he tells us in, in verse 14 and 15. Jesus didn't save us. Jesus didn't suffer on the cross. Jesus didn't shed his blood on the cross. For you and I after we say yes to him by faith, to live the same old way we used to. Jesus didn't save us to leave us where we were. And instead, he wants to transform our lives. He wants us to have a changed life. Two things I want you to see. The first one is in the second part of verse 14, then in, then in verse 15. In order for us to really move forward and have changed lives, we need to have a forsaken past, a forsaken past. Second part of verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't, don't be conformed. Don't be living your life based on the same pattern, the way that you used to live your life before you came to Christ. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't be conform to the desires and the, and, the, and the lust and maybe just what you want in your heart. You see, there's a big tendency for us to do that because we've been raised to kindly think by our culture, I want what I want when I want it. I want what I want. I don't care what anyone else says or what anyone else thinks. When for you and I as believers, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, it's not about what your heart wants anymore. It's about what the heart of God wants for our lives. We need to be concerned about what he wants for our lives. So don't be conformed to the passions of your old desires, the, the way you used to, to act. Whether it was in ignorance or whether you just decided you're going to ignore what God had to say. He, he's saying don't be conformed by that form of ignorance. Don't keep allowing your past to impact the way you live now. That you've been saved by God's grace. So if we're going to 
more different lives, we need to forsake our past, but we need to embrace our identity. We need to embrace our identity and embrace the identity. He goes on in verse 15. And he says, as he, talking about God, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. God called us to be holy. We have a new identity in Christ. We're now children of the Most High God. We now have the divine nature inside of us if you receive Christ as Savior. We need to embrace that identity because God is holy, because God is sacred, because God is morally blameless, because God is set apart, because God is different. You and I also need to be all those things. We need to be set apart, different, doing our best to live holy for him, living set apart lives to him. And he said, in all your conduct, I capitalized the word all for a reason. I didn't like it. Do you like that? I didn't like it because it's tough. I went through and I did all the word studies, guys, as many different directions as I could. And I found this out at the end of all of it. The word all means all. In all of our conduct. Because he is holy he wants us to live holy, set-apart lives also. Because he's different, he, he wants us to live different lives also. We need to embrace the identity of who we are in Christ. Because God is holy, we're to live holy lives, different lives. Let me give you some instructions that's in the Bible that deal with that, and then we're done. Look with me, first of all, at 1 Thessalonians. Paul's writing to these believers of Thessalonica. He says, finally then, brothers, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God. Now, he's telling them, hey, I've already told you this. So he said, I've already told you this. But look what he says. Just as you were doing Wouldn't you like to feel like that you were living obedient enough to God that he could have had the apostle Paul to write to you and say, hey, I told you to do this and you're doing it. Wow, huh? How'd you like to get a letter from the apostle Paul and say, just as you're doing. But he tells them not to get satisfied. He said that you do so more and more. We can't get satisfied with our progress. We need to continue living more and more separated lives, different lives for him. For you know what instructions we gave you. Once again, he's reminding them, I've already told you this. I've already given you instructions. Through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. I'm just going to stop and I'll pick back up reading in a minute. We, we live in a culture that is bombarded by sexual immorality. When, when we were growing up, some of you that are close to my age, and you, you know, we, because we were dirty-minded little boys or whatever, and you had older cousins and stuff, you had to go try and find magazines and stuff. Today, it 
confronts our children and our youth every way they look. They can hop online and just type in a, you know, do a quick search and find it. He says we're to abstain from sexual immorality. And some of you might be thinking, hey, I'm good with that. I, I'm, not, I'm not committed adultery or anything else. Uh, Jesus set a higher bar. He says, you look upon a woman and lust after you committed adultery already in your heart. He said, abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles. In other words, he's saying, you belong to Jesus now. Don't live like somebody that doesn't belong to Jesus. Who do not know God, that no one transgresses and wrong his brother in this manner. In other words, don't be sinning against other people through sexual immorality. Because the Lord is an, what's that word? Avenger. We don't like saying that, do we? Thank God God is love, but God is also holy. And an avenger is more or less someone that pays back. (laughs) In all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So just in case you were thinking to yourself, I wish the pastor would get on that topic because it's making me uncomfortable. And when I get out the doors of the church, I can go do whatever I want. Yes, you can, but you're not violating anything against me. You're violating God's will. Look with me at another passage of scripture, Galatians. We're talking about what our behavior ought to be like to help us live more different lives. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's more than just us knowing the Holy Spirit is inside of us. He says, walk by the Spirit. Be obedient to the Spirit, and we'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Look at this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. I wish that wasn't there. (laughs) Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, Orgies and things like these. Do I need to do word studies on all that? Do y'all understand what we're talking about? I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit. See, it's not just about what you don't do. It's also about what we ought to do as we set ourselves apart to be different for the Lord. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I wish patience wasn't there either. (laughs) 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Once again, we're reminded it needs to flesh itself out in our lives. We need to be different in our lives. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So all I did was read you a quick list of things that we shouldn't do and then of how we ought to live our lives. If we're going to be different and live our lives different for the Lord. I want to close with an illustration. I alluded to artwork a moment ago. Uh, I painted for years and then I quit for like 20 years. I just couldn't find time. And then a few years ago I got interested in it again, cranked out several things, and that's been a year since I've done anything. That's a picture of a painting I probably did about two years ago, I guess. And uh, it's one of them I was kind of happy with when I, I was done uh, with it. Seemed like it's one of them went a little bit easier. I have thrown them in the trash before. <laughs> I have scraped the canvas off before and start all over. But I was kind of happy with that. So I was in a gallery for a few weeks. And I stopped by a couple of weeks after being in the gallery, and it was kind of a gallery where they had things all over the place to sell also. So when I stopped back in uh, the gallery to kind of look around, I had more than that there. Some of mine was on the wall, some that ran out of space. And since that one was a tall, long-shaped one, they had one on an easel, and there was an easel there, and they had set mine in the floor uh, against the easel. So I walk up to it, and I'm looking at it, and instantly, I see this that you couldn't see, and you might not can tell it right now very good, but you see that little place look like a dent where the paint's been tore back a little bit. And I didn't get angry outside with them. I did take and show it to them, and they said, well, we don't know how that happened. And then one of the other ladies said, well, there's a lady pushing a baby around in a stroller. It was over that way, and they think that she might have bumped it. See, stretched canvas doesn't take bumps very good. So while on the outside, I wasn't that upset, on the inside, since I was kind of happy with that one, and I was like the creator of that artwork, the creator of that painting, inside, I was kind of thinking to myself, how dare you put my painting in the floor? You can put somebody else's painting in the floor. Don't put mine down on the floor. How dare you let it get damaged? I'm the one that created that. I was happy with the way it looked, and yet it, now, it's, now it's damaged. And while no one else might not would have seen it and noticed that I did because I'm the one that created it. Can you imagine how God feels? Because he's our creator. He's our creator that gave us life. He created a perfect world, a perfect environment that's been tortoise reds by sin. And not just our physical creator, those of us that know Christ as our Savior, he has created us in Christ Jesus. Imagine how he feels. When he looks at our lives and he sees all the flaws and all the bumps and everything that I understand it's under grace. I understand that we've been set apart. We've been made holy. I understand that. But we're also told that because he's holy, we're to be holy. Can you imagine how God feels? Because God created a lot better creation than I did a painting. And when God saved you in Christ, he made something a whole lot more perfect than any painting that I will ever crank out. And while I was upset about that and that painting won't matter one bit in eternity, 
Imagine how God feels when he looks at our lives and he sees idolatry or sexual immorality or lack of patience or all these things. Imagine how he feels when he calls us to be different. Let's pray. God, forgive us. When we ignore your word, when we ignore your will for our lives, forgive us, Lord, when we as believers live our lives for ourselves instead of for you. Forgive us when those of us that have trusted Christ as our Savior and you've inherited us be your Holy Spirit, forgive us when we look like the rest of the world around us. Forgive us when we get drunk on culture and we fail to have a sober mind. Forgive us if we don't keep our hope upon your return. Forgive us, Father, when we allow our behavior to be so tied to our past and who we were instead of being tied to the identity of who we are in Christ now. God, I pray you help us as believers to recognize the need for us to be and act and serve more like Jesus. Father, help us to go out the doors of this place and this week be reminded that you could come back at any time. This week be reminded how our thought process needs to be different. This week, God, help us to be to live different lives for you because you're holy. Father, if there's anyone that's also gathered with us this morning that doesn't know Christ as Savior, Lord, I pray you'd help them to understand how much you love them. Help them to understand the great price that you paid for them by sending your son to die on the cross. Help them to understand that you cared so much that Jesus took their sin, their pain, their suffering, and he paid for it in full on the cross. Father, help that person that may not know you yet that's in this place this morning or watching online this morning on our live feed. Father, speak to them. Draw them to yourself. Give them the faith they need to say yes to Jesus. Put your divine nature in their life and send them out to serve you. God, send all of us out to serve you better. Help us to be better disciples. Help us to do a better job making disciples. God, make us different in this world that we live in. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.